Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Future of Internal Communication podcast, brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication. And this podcast explores the evolving role of internal communication in the future of work. I'm Jen Sproul, Chief Exec of the IOIC, and I've teamed up with Kat Barnard, partner at Work in the Future, and we're joined by Don Walters, our leadership comms expert. And together we host a conversation about the changing nature of internal communication. And in each episode, we're joined by a special guest. The internet has brought society great gains. Today, we're witness to information and knowledge sharing that's unprecedented. But while the benefits are clear, how aware are we of the downsides? While the internet allows us to reach more people than previously imaginable, it reduces the quality of human connection. It's also fueled fake news, and it seems to be eroding trust. In a distributed world, how do we best come together to make, to sense make, learn, and problem solve to overcome our biggest challenges? In this episode, we explore the role of internal comms in building relationship and community for optimal knowledge exchange. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm Catherine Barnard, and and I'm joined, as usual, by Jen Sproul and Dominic Walters. Today, we're going to be talking about the impact of digital communication on relationship and community. Our guest today is Harold Jarkey, who joins us from the east coast of Canada. And Harold and I have known one another for several years now. Um, I was explaining to Dom and Jen earlier how we'd come to meet, but uh, Harold, if you want to give us a couple of um, introductory points about yourself, where you've come from, what you do, and so on, that would be amazing. Yeah, uh, thanks very much, Kat, and uh, great to be here. So I, uh, I'll give a quick breakdown on my, on my career. As I, I spent the first half of my work life as an Army officer in the Canadian Army. Um, I retired in 1998, moved to this small town here called Sackville, New Brunswick, population 5,000. Um, far away from everywhere. Uh, worked for at, the, at our local university at the Center for Learning Technologies for a while. Uh, then I worked for a .com. I was fired. And as a result, I started working for myself in 2003. And so since 2003, I have been an independent uh, consultant, freelancing, speaker, writer, blogger, and really interested in uh, really started with when, when the web came about in uh, 1995 is that I saw that things were really going to change a lot. And that's where I've been focused on is that I'm very interested in uh, uh, distributed work and in network learning. And that's my focus. I, I'm really interested in that whole topic. I think primarily because um, for those who don't know, in a past life, I in the 1990s, I helped put together the teams, the engineering teams that designed and built the second and third mobile phone, um, second and third generation mobile phone networks across Europe. So in a dark sense, I feel kind of responsible for the impact that the internet has had on all of us. And I, I'm fascinated by it and how it has changed our lives and most particularly our working lives. And, um, and I think there are ups and downs, pros and cons and so on. So I guess one of my questions for you, Harold, is, is to what, what effect you feel digital communication has had 
on our ability to communicate effectively and our sense of connection. And I'm particularly interested in that because you've just shared that you moved to quite a remote corner of Canada and then found yourself in a position where you were facing self-employment. That must have been quite quite a hurdle to overcome in the early days, I'd imagine. Uh, yes, it was. And uh, I've ridden the financial roller coaster for 18 years now and uh, I'm on a little bit of an upswing and I hope I stay that way on that. So, so I really, I went back to school. So I, while I was in the army, I went back to school. Um, I took graduate studies in education and I got really interested in communications and media and was very much informed by the work of Marshall McLuhan, who was a, was a Canadian media theorist. He's the one who coined um, the global village, um, uh, uh, the medium is the message, things like that. There's just have to search Marshall McLuhan, lots of work on that. And when the web came about, for me, it was a real sort of like whack on the side of the head was that uh, using McLuhan's work is that I likened it to the advent of the printing press. So when the printing press came, uh, came about is that it extended, you know, our, our ability, particularly uh, in, uh, in, in, in Europe, it, it extended people's ability to read the Bible because the Bible suddenly got, got published in German and other languages. So it provided individual interpretation of the Bible and it, and it usurped the privileged position of the, of the Catholic priests and brought about the, um, uh, the Protestant Reformation and unfortunately a hundred years of war and lots of messy stuff. Um, it also retrieved uh, more public d discourse. We started seeing published uh, books like the novel, right? The, the reason that we could publish novels was because we could print them on a printing press and not handwrite them, right? Um, and then, of course, over time, it reversed into yellow journalism, into propaganda, right? Uh, you know, by, by the, particularly in the 1930s and 1940s, and, and we saw well, what a mess uh, that created, and you know, the Germans mastered what the Americans had done with propaganda using print, and then later radio. So I think that digital media sort of had those same effects. So one of the things that digital media are allowing us to do is instant self-publishing. So you know, before you know, I had to before the web. You know, I had to publish uh, maybe in a uh, association or in a journal or something like that, and they were gatekeepers. But um, so in 2003, when I, you know, wind up being uh, unemployed or self-employed, there's, there's no difference, just depends on how much money you're bringing in, um, is that I, uh, I, I set up my website and then later I set up a blog and that gave me the opportunity to publish you know, to, to, to anyone. And that, that's a hugely empowering, right? Because there are no more gate, gatekeepers, right? Um, but as more and more people start publishing online is that suddenly there's no more linearity and nuance and is it you're getting it all bombarded on you in a very sort of a liquid form where we're floating in this noise. And we talked earlier about, you know, a lot of people don't like Twitter because it's, there's a lot of crap on it. And Sturgeon's Law, Theodore Sturgeon, the science fiction writer, had, had a great saying is that 90% of everything is crap. Because uh, And so that's, it, it doesn't matter whether it's literature or whether it's science fiction or whether it's on the web. So uh, we have to figure out how to find the good, uh, the good 10%. But, and, and what this digital medium is um, sort of retrieving from the, from, the, from the deep past are these oral stories. And we've seen that with, with, with things like TikTok 
and uh, some of the other uh, tools that, that that have come out is that that instant oral narrative um, meme the meme culture and the meme wars that are coming out is very much a you know getting that in it, into your brain and but what's happening with the digital media and this is what we have to build systems and I think particular with internal communications is that they reverse into constant outrage. We see this all the time, right? And we get people in their different camps fighting and they also drive towards a global orthodoxy. The uh, you know, people toe, toe the line. There's, there are a lot of things that you can't talk about. Me as a you know, white heterosexual male, there's certain things I can't talk about. It's kind of like, you know, that, that's you, 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 and, and you just don't go there because you know that you're going to be dumped on. And it's the same for, for, uh, for other people as well. So we, ha we have to be cognizant of this. Uh, is it, so so the, the, every technology has a, an, an impact on the people who use it. And if we understand that, McLuhan's laws of media uh, basically say that every medium extends the human property, it obsolesces the previous medium and quite often makes it a luxury good. It retrieves an older medium and it reverses its properties when pushed to its limits. And we got to be looking at that reversal right now because digital media are, are, are being pushed to their limits. And we can go on that a little further, but wow. does, that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does make sense. I was going to say, and just that, that, almost brilliantly explains that dichotomy which is that on the one hand the internet has connected us in ways that we never would have imagined like you know I have people that I've never met in real life that I consider to be friends now who are scattered all over the world and yet in parallel what we're seeing playing out is this divisive polarized Bun fight. It feels like a bun fight the moment that you log on to any social media platform. Yeah, and the thing is, we haven't. Uh, you know, we take for granted what it was like when we grew up, and we, uh, such as privacy, uh, is that everyone is entitled to privacy. But if you go back a few hundred years, there was no privacy in the village. Everybody knew what the heck you were doing, right? Only rich people had privacy, and now we're moving into. We're, 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 we're sort of going back to that period. So privacy was this industrial moment, right? People living in cities where they could sort of have their own life. And, and, and now everything's out there. So I think that the younger generations have no expectations of privacy. How can I just pick up on something? Because what you said really struck a chord to me about the Bible, actually. Because funny enough, I'm sitting here in Gloucestershire in England, a few miles away from the monument to William Tyndale, who wrote the translated into English and was burned at the stake for his pains because it was a threat. So just go back to what you say about the whole thing about digital media. Who's a big threat to, do you think? Oh, the power structures. So the, the digital media, uh, there's um, um, the Clue Train Manifesto, which was written in 1999, I think it was, and they had 95 theses, and if that sort of connects uh, a little bit to Martin Luther. Uh, they, uh, they, uh, there was four, four guys who published this, and, um, uh, uh, and, and thesis number one was markets or conversations, right? And, but then they also talked about uh, how um, uh, hyperlinks subvert hierarchy. I think that's number six in there. When you think about that, hyperlinks subvert hierarchy. So what does digital media subvert? The hierarchy. Now, that was, we had that wonderful period of 20, 25 years where, re, where it really did that. And as a matter of fact, the I don't think Black Lives Matter or um, 
the Me Too movement would have succeeded without without the web and without the, because the gatekeepers would have, would would have shut that down. We wouldn't have seen it on on mainstream. So it enabled uh, that. But what we're seeing is is this reversal: is that it's the platforms that now control everything. Is that uh, you know if a, a lot of people you know they use um, a, a platform like like Facebook, and then suddenly you know something happens and and they're they're kicked off Facebook. They lose their account. Suddenly, they're, they're not able to connect with anybody anymore. We're seeing that on Twitter. We're seeing accounts get closed off, right? So, so we've moved from the web being open, and then and, and now the surveillance capitalists having taken over the Facebooks, the Apple, the Google, um, Amazon as well, um, and, and and they are controlling the conversation. And they are saying, who's got something to lose? It's not governments as much as the platforms, because the platforms can shut down a government if they want to. Right? because they control the conversation. It's one reason that I really strongly push um, tools like like blogs, right? So mine's hosted on my own server. What, you know, I use a, a open source um, a software for it. And, uh, it, it, you know, I mean, you know, they, they could, you know, cut off my DNS settings, which happens sometimes. Um, uh, but at least, you know, I could publish the number and people could, you know, log, log into my account. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it is a battlefield for control. Uh, right now, the surveillance capitalists are winning. Uh, governments don't know what to do. Um, I know that in the U.S. is that they're starting to push against Facebook, and we'll see what happens. Or Meta, I guess, as they're called now. So, uh, so this is a th- th- we we are living through a period similar to uh, the religious wars in Europe. And, and and if you think of open source, how open source constantly forks, right? Okay, I don't we, I don't like uh, Mo- Mozilla, so I'm going to create Firefox. So now I'm, I don't like Firefox, I'm going to create something else. Well, the same thing happened with, I mean, the first open source movement was Protestantism, right? They forked from from uh, from the Catholic uh, Church, and then what happened? They kept disagreeing with each other. We got Zwingliism and Calvinism, and it sort of just kept going and going and going, right? And, and and that's happening today. We're seeing that with a lot of the evangelical churches that are uh, that are separate from you know even their mainstream. So um, you know we we opened up a can of worms on this, and and we're not going to cap it, I don't think. So we have to figure out how to deal with uh, this messy stuff that's happening. And uh, corporations and companies are not doing a very good job of it, from what I see. I'm I'm just reflecting as well, and sort of just all that I've written down so many phrases and, and just terminology that you said there, Harold. And I just wanted to pick up on this issue as well around, say, privacy. Privacy doesn't exist, and I think that's quite a quite a, a mind blowing concept when you're thinking about potentially internal communication, potentially thinking about me is I'm an, I'm a human and I'm an employee but anything about me is not private if you want to find out so what does that mean for my relationship with my employer but also for the leaders and and, and the things that are trying to implement perhaps of those corporate worlds those kinds of let's control the message that's you cannot do that so how and it just makes me wonder in that in that melee I don't know Dom if you have a view on this as well is how do we lean into I guess, and and make that lack of privacy a more positive than, I guess, damaging experience. Well, you you said the word control, Jen. I mean, mm. and that's that's in this digital surround. Um, of a friend of mine, uh, Rachel Hapa, says that uh, uh, control is for amateurs, um, and that it, it's understanding that you don't control the message, 
and all you can do is influence. So that in in a hierarchy, in an, in a hierarchical organization, we exercise control through our position in the hierarchy. Right? You're at the top. You've got more control than somebody at the bottom. Right? Uh, in a market economy, you exercise control through competition. You're more competitive. You you outmaneuver uh, people and that you can then you, you then have the power and, and we see that because we still live in a market dominant uh, uh, economy but as we move into a network society is it influence comes through reputation and we're seeing this uh, we're seeing this emerge uh, is that people with no power no money are exercise uh, uh, have a lot of influence think of greta thunberg right how much money does she have really she exercised i think of malala you know, and you, you can see other people who are exercising through their reputation. And, and how do you build a reputation in a network? You give to the network. The more that you give, the more the network gives you back. That's how, that's how I influence, you know, so I, I'm fired in 2003. I have a network from the military that's useless. Um, I have a small network from the company and the university where I worked. I live in a town of 5,000 people, right? We have a plus 2,000 students that come in to the, to the small university here. And I need to make a living. So what, uh, this, and so in 2004, I started, blo I started blogging. Siri, I was doing a little bit of blogging before that, but I started blogging on my own site. And um, I'd had a contract and then there was no work. So I'm home. My wife is a stay-at-home mother. We have two little boys at home, right? And I'm writing my blog. And my wife is look, comes over and looks at me. And she says, Harold, if you give away all your knowledge, nobody's ever going to hire you. And if you think linear, linearly, that's true. And I said, I said, I don't think, and this was informed by uh, works by Corey Doctorow and others. I said, I don't think my problem is people stealing what I know. I think my problem is nobody knows who the heck I am. And the only way that I'm going to get people to know who I am is by putting this stuff out there. So I've been blogging now for 18 years. I have 3,500 posts, something like that up there. And the reason that Kat knows me is because I'm a blogger, right? The reason that um, I just finished a two-year contract with Citibank um, and wh why? Because I'm a blogger, right? I'm, uh, I just finished a speaking engagement with the Rhode Island Department of Health. Why? Because I'm a blogger. It goes on, is that I gave. The only thing is, is that it's a non-linear and it's a not, and the relationship between cause and effect is only seen in retrospect. So I can't say if I'm going to blog, I'm going to get this. I can say because I blogged, I got this. And that is really tough when it comes to things like, well, what's the ROI on blogging? Well, I can't tell you what it's going to be, but I can tell you what the ROI on not blogging is, right? It's zero. And that, that's, so we have, to, we have to think differently about communications, about cause and effect, about dealing with complex things that we cannot control. All we can do is influence. We influence through our behavior and we influence uh, people because we build trust. And how do we build trust? We build trust through conversations. So we have to have more, better, deeper conversations with important people. And that's something that internal communications can do is start making these connections. And a, a term used by many people is closing triangles, right? So in this case is that, you know, Kat has kind of closed a triangle. I know her, but I don't know Dom and Jen. So she's now put, sort of put us together. And now, now information can flow without going through Kat. I can talk to Jen or Dom directly. And the more closed triangles that you have in a network, the faster knowledge flows, right? And knowledge flows at the speed of trust. So we have to build the trust through the conversations, make the connections. And then, because if the knowledge flows faster, 
we can make decisions faster and we can make decisions based on better information. So it so so communications then is enablement. It's breaking down barriers. It's getting rid of the silo. Silos sometimes are really good to get work done. But then you also have to have ways in connecting with outside those silos. Maybe not everybody has to connect outside, but you need to have the you need to have those bridge builders, those connectors. You need to identify them. And that's where tools like social network analysis, organizational network analysis are really powerful in identifying that. So if you're working in internal comms, you should be talking to the network analysts and, and, and figuring out how how is communication happening now and how can we make it work better? I was going to say, I feel like my head literally just, it didn't explode, but I was just completely consumed by that. And I think this plays exactly to the conversation that we've had, Jen, Dom, and, and we've had it on the podcast and we, you know, with certain guests and, and offline, this idea that internal communication in 2021 and for the rest of this decade, at least, is so much more than content and channels. It is, you know, that there there is an aspect to this work. Well, I'm not even sure it's an aspect. I wonder whether it is the work, which is the embodiment of communication. How do we use our language internally within our organizations to build this free flow of information and knowledge and wisdom and insights in a in a way that is freely giving and it comes back to that point about trust it comes back to that point about trust because if the trust isn't there nothing else happens right well you know the joke right trust me i'm from head office (laughs) (laughs) yeah everybody laughs because (laughs) but it's also interesting to go to this whole thing around conversation because I think this is, we do a lot of work with leaders and we talk to leaders about the, your biggest power as a communicator is conversation. Um, and it's a hard debate to have sometimes. It's a hard thing to influence them to do because many leaders are so used to the fact that they, they can't embark a conversation because they've got to have the knowledge. Uh, and if they don't know the knowledge, they're not going to risk having a discussion. Um, they need to have the detailed messages. How have you coped with that, Harold? Yeah, well, social media are and web web communications, whatever you want to call it nowadays, uh, are like an, a, a language, right? It's a, you're learning a new language. And I, I, I learned a new language as an adult. Uh, I learned a new one as a child as well. Um, but when you, te- when, when, when you get adult learners learning a second language is that they are really embarrassed to speak. Why? Because they don't want to sound like a six-year-old. Right. And and the and the best language learners are the ones who don't care if they embarrass themselves and they just keep making the mistakes. And they go through it. And, just, and that's the same thing with, with 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 social media is that you have to immerse yourself in it and you're going to look like a noob. You know, you're, you, you, yeah, yeah, you're going to look a little a little dumb. But you know what? It's it. it, it there are people who will forgive you, right? You surround yourself, you, know, so you, 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 you connect with people who are going to be forgiving and, and who are going to trust and are going to, if you, if you sink, you know, they're going to, they're going to pull you up, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, a th- thinking about communications and, you know, what, what, what leaders can do is that um, I, for some reason, about 10 years ago, I, I was looking at my Twitter followers and I had all these Finnish senior army officers, like the commander of the Finnish army. 
and the head of intelligence and uh, the, you know, the head of the commando operations. And I don't know what the heck it was. But one of the fellows, uh, Harry Oraejo was his name, is that we, we got to talking back and forth, back and forth over the years. And in 2018, I, I wound up in Helsinki and I contacted Harry and he invited me out to lunch. And uh, we're having a lunch. I said, I said, how come I have all these Finnish officers who are following me on Twitter? What's going on? He said, oh, he said, well, he said, the commander of the army in like 2004 or five, something like that, uh, called in all of his senior officers. And, and he said, this internet social media stuff is really important. You will understand it. You will get on all these platforms. You will engage them so that you understand what people are talking about with this type kind of stuff. Is that you, you better understand this because the next war is probably going to be an information war. Right. And uh, so, the, you know, so Marco Cooley, who was the um, uh, who was the commander of the army, he followed me and other guys followed me because we were talking about these kinds of things. Right. What are the effects of this technology on the way that we work and, 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 the, and the way that we learn? And uh, so that's kind of interesting is it took the guy at the top to order his officers. You're getting on Twitter, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so can I ask one more question on that? Because this is something we, I think many people listening to this podcast will tackle. Just get to, to give us three top tips if you can as to how you get a recalcitrant senior person to start to use twitter or yammer or facebook even um what, what are the three things that, that we should be looking at to do that first their boss should order them to do it okay. so always try to leverage um leverage from the very top because um you know Quite often, you'll see senior managers going around and saying, you know, uh, we should, our people should be doing this, they should do that, they should be doing that. Well, first question I ask them is, are you doing it? Because if you're not going to do it, it's not going to work. The other thing is, is that if they ask you, uh, well, you know, what's the return on investment, you know, give us the business case for this, they, they automatically don't believe in it, right? So, so, so you have to find the true believers, the people who understand the power of, of, of these media and leverage that. And quite often, like, I mean, I've got to the point now with my work is that um, um, I, don't, I don't bother convincing clients why they should hire me. I only work with clients who are already convinced when they knock on my door, my virtual door and say, Harold, we want to engage you, right? Because I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm not wasting, I mean, 3,500 blog posts, read through them, right? There's, there, there, there is the convincing. Um, and uh, I mean, give examples peer pressure is really big so i would say with senior people is find senior people who who understand this and get them to talk to each other because nobody wants to look stupid uh in front of people who work for them right so so that so 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 find safe space in which you can show that to them there's a great example i've written on, on my blog about this about the chairman of nokia so you know everybody knows nokia and you know they've kind of rebuilt the company now um but one area that Nokia is focused on is machine learning, right? Which is a subset of artificial intelligence. And um, um, uh, Risto Silasma uh, was the, the chair. And for, for quite a period of time, he was trying to find, okay, I need the 50,000 foot view of what ML is and why it's important to, to Nokia. And nobody could give it to him. And finally, one day he sort of hit himself on the side of the head and said, duh, it's my job to figure this out and tell people. So guess what? He goes back to school. He hadn't programmed in 30 years. He goes back to school. He goes to conferences. He plugs into the, uh, these various things and he starts putting together um, an understanding of what it is. Six months later, he gives a presentation inside um, uh, uh, Nokia. It's available on YouTube, right? And he explains what ML is, what it isn't, why it's important to every single person at Nokia. He then winds up giving that uh, similar presentation to the cabinet of the Finnish government. And then he toured around Europe giving this 
giving this presentation and understanding to, um, to, to, to students. But basically is that, I mean, he embodied the idea of the job of leadership is to help make your network smarter, is to, is to help your network be smarter, make better connections so they can make better decisions. Right? And that's what he did. So it wasn't like, he wasn't telling people what to do. He was actually helping people understand this thing and that, okay, now you figure it out within your personal context or your business context. He helped to make his network smarter and that made it more, you know, so all those connections, all those things. So everybody now could talk about ML using the same language, right? That, that hadn't happened before. Right? So he gave them a common framework. He enabled knowledge sharing and conversations. I'm sure there were lots of conversations after his presentation. People are talking about, oh, what's that mean for us? That's interesting, that kind of stuff. You know, and you know, I use that example a lot, but I haven't seen too many others. I'm just, you know, I just wanted to pick up as well about there's <clears throat> something we talked as well about this issue of connection and this issue of community. And there's many questions, but it's just going through my mind. I'm coming back to that point of of feeling stupid, feeling fearful. Um, and we can feel stupid and fearful as a human being at any level, um, whether we're a leader, whether we're a junior, whether we're this or whether we're, you know, we're entering world's jobs for the first time, whether we're trying to, in, in isolation during a pandemic, find some friends online. But how do we engage? How do we seem part of it? So how can we use or encourage people who we know are employees that potentially are feeling isolated, lonely, um, that are feeling fearful of jumping onto the internal comms network to make a comment in case somebody sees it and thinks they're stupid? I think it's how can we use digital communication to not to help people build connections as humans, not just about information sharing, or are we continually going down the route of, of driving loneliness through that fear? I think it, it feels like there's pluses and minuses and it's overcoming that hurdle. Yeah, I mean, it is all about people. It's all about human connections, um, even though we're immersed in information and things like that, is that, I mean, I mean, it's really quite often it's, it's, it's not what the information is, it's who it's coming from, right? That, be, be, that becomes really, really important. And so if you think from a communications perspective is that, you know, how do we do that? You know, how do we get people to trust? Right? How do we get that that knowledge to flow? Part of it is is making the connections, closing the triangles, like like I said. Um, and uh, the other thing is, um, and, and this actually was, we, we developed a program at Citibank that uh, we we put out just as the pandemic hit us in uh, in the spring of two thousand and twenty, and it's it's called Working Smarter at City, um, and it's based on my personal knowledge mastery framework. You can just search that online and there's uh, there's a lot of information but the but at, at the top level uh, pkm uh, works on uh, uh, in a nutshell is, is is three things seek sense share how do you seek out information and knowledge how do you make sense of it and then how when where and why do you share it and it's this continuous process of of of, of sense making by seeking and sharing and and doing something with what i'm learning um and uh the, but the basis of that, like the first module that, that we created was called curiosity. And if you think about it, curiosity is the core here. Um, I know many very senior people who have no curiosity. I, I remember sitting on an airplane with a senior officer. I, I was retired at this time. Um, he was like a re, um, almost retired general. And we sat on, uh, we, this was a transatlantic flight. We are on the plane for several hours. And we talked about all kinds of stuff. He never once asked me anything about myself. 
ever. Right? He had no curiosity. He didn't need to because he had stuff fed to him, right? The people up top, they, you, I don't need to be curious. I'm going to get, the, people are going to give me information anyway, right? People are going to listen to me because I'm the boss, that kind of stuff. So at, so the lack of curiosity becomes a real problem, particularly at, at senior levels. And if you think about curiosity, curiosity about ideas, right, can lead to some kind of, to creativity. Curiosity about people leads to empathy, not sympathy, but empathy. So you, if you're curious about people, you want to learn about them, you want to know about them, and now you can empathize for the position that they're in. It's just like, oh, what, what are you doing down there? It's 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 the boss who gets out of his or her office, goes down to the you know the 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 uh, the motor bay and sees how people are ripping apart vehicles, right? You know, something they may have not done for twenty five years, and go, hey, things are different. Why are you doing this? What's happening? Tell me about work. What you know? What are your issues? That kind of stuff. And if you think about it, is that probably the best people you've ever worked for or with are the ones who have a curiosity, have a curiosity about other people. They, they just want to know, right? And so I think that that is the core of it. And, 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 and the thing is, is that, but that curiosity can be killed pretty quickly. Job description, it's not in your job. What do you mean it's not in my job? I, I'm supposed to be pulling in information and knowledge from outside. I'm not a cog in a wheel, right? I'm a contributing member of a knowledge network. And too often we don't think about it that way. We think about it. No, you have a, you have this job to do. Well, actually, if I have uh, connections outside the company, at a certain point in time, I may be able to bring that connection in either as a supplier, a contractor, a client. Right? If I only stay focused on my little job, I'm not bringing greater value into the, the, the into the actual value network of the organization. Um, and that I think is to get rid of that 20th century mindset of do your job, stay in your lane, you know, the tall poppy syndrome, all that kind of stuff. That's what we have to get rid of and find out ways in which we can enable everyone's individual potential, which then contributes back to the network. Do you know what that reminds me of? Um, Steve Hayes, who I know is going to be a guest on a future episode, um, is head of communicate, internal communication for a housing association. And he talked not long ago on social media. He may have even talked about it at the um, IOIC festival about how he took a day out and he went and worked for a full day with the guys, with the colleagues who are on the front line of basically clearing up and renovating and preparing vacated premises for new tenants. And the stories that he told about um, the, the connection and the community that was created on that day, because these guys were astonished that somebody had come out and actually paid attention to what it was that they were doing. But from his point of view, he learned just how much impact the housing association has in its community, in its outer community. And you know that he wouldn't have done that had he not been curious. And what a, what a set of learnings. And I, that, that's where the, um, the social media can help because, I mean, it's great. And, and I, I've always encouraged this, that the idea of leadership by walking around. But you can also do it virtually. 
you can engage social media, you can connect with the people who are, you know, lower down or, or whatever. And, and what are they talking about? What are they sharing? It's a great way to understand what, what, what are your clients, your customers, you know, your society, what are they talking about? What's important to them? So social media, let us uh, empathize without physically having to go there. Mm. I just wanted to pick up as well because as you're talking it's making me just think because obviously the things in the consumer world where I think investment monitoring using tools to see what you know what's chatter about products what are the chatter about general brands or what's the sentiment out there of the nation or consumers a lot of investment into thinking about that I think does happen in more of the consumer and social world potentially I don't know how much of it's happening necessarily in the employee world but I wonder what I think about you is trying to understand that narrative and being we are curious we are a curious profession it's one of our greatest assets but is there any advice and I, I'm going back to you what you talked about earlier is all about network analysis where why really I think sometimes when we think about the analysis of internal communication or seeing what people are engaging with and I, I, you can all see me do my my um invert my fingers with the, the commas um but actually we, what we will look at is well we sent out a newsletter these are the clicks so people are not talk is that really giving us a true picture of the chatter or understanding the because if you think of information flow and knowledge flow it's not it's not it's not one one way or to the other it's not a two-way thing it's multi-directional and I wonder how much, and I talk about this a lot, should we be doing more to listen in in a different way to what actually the chatter is? Or actually, how is communication traveling around the business so that we can become more informed to understand where connections are happening or where they aren't happening? Yeah, I'm, uh, be, I've become very leery of uh, these um, analytical tools that uh, sort of give you link clicks, how many people looked at this, how many did that kind of thing. And uh, for example, is that I've, I've taken all the tracking I possibly can off of my website. I don't have Google Analytics. I don't have, uh, uh, the, the, I don't know how many people visit my site and I don't really care. It's not about that, you know, it, it, because I don't want to give to the surveillance capitalists, right? The ones who are, who are, who are selling this data, uh, at, you know, here and there and everywhere. But there are other kinds of tools and processes. Um, um, like, um, I know that uh, Kat knows this, this company called Mirror Mirror, Right, and in, in which they actually, they, they, and it's a way in which they can surface issues, how pe how teams look at their, uh, uh, different things. I'm working with a uh, with a, a small startup in Finland called Topasia, and Topas Topasia is finished for what is the top issue? How do we surface the top issue? And they use cards, either physical or virtual cards, in the in there, and that helps to serve. Helps us. So what you're doing is that you're enabling deeper conversations to understand these complex issues. You're not hammering people with surveillance and saying, oh, we understand what's going on because no dashboard is actually gonna let you know what's going on. Again, control is for amateurs and it gives you the illusion of control. Right? There's, an, there's something that I'm, uh, I'm doing next week actually for um, uh, the uh, Future Fuels uh, Cooperative, which is uh, in, an Australian organization of uh, business and university and uh, government and uh, their their mission is the decarbonization of the fuels industry in in australia and they're particularly focused on on, on hydrogen use there and they're one of the leaders in the world on that and one of the things that we're doing is we're going to do a value network analysis value network analysis is different from uh, social it doesn't require any technology it's you get people together they then 
map out the system, the boundaries that they have, and then they take a look at tangible asset flows, right? That like money being tangible. And then also they look at intangible asset flows, right? Things like trust, reputation. Um, and when they, when they work on this, quite often what happens is that they suddenly see, oh, that doesn't look right. I, I did this with um, um, a design chemist at a, at a global pharmaceutical company. And we took a look at how design, how this network was sharing information because it, it was this community of practice. And one of the roles was, was the design chemist, he, him or herself, and they were distributed around the world. And as we mapped out information flows and the, and the asset flows, is that we saw all these arrows pointing into the design chemist. There was no arrow pointing out. There was no feedback loop from the, from the end user. And they sort of stopped right there and went, we have to relook at how we do business on this. Right. That it gave the, so those kinds of tools that allow us to have better and deeper conversations, I think, are critical. And there's a lot of them emerging now. But the, um, uh, the you know, link clicks and that kind of stuff. I mean, I call those vanity metrics. They make you feel good, but who cares? Oh, look, at I got 5000 people viewed this. I get that on, on LinkedIn. You know, 5000 people liked like to post to mine. Not a single person clicked on on the link, went to my site and bought what I was selling. <laughs> So, <laughs> one of the things that's really struck me as we come into land, I think one of the things that's really struck me is we're talking about using social media, but everything we've discussed, everything you've taught us about has been around interpersonal stuff. So it's been, how do you build trust? How do you use questions? How do you establish curiosity? And ultimately, how do you have great conversations? So one of the big things I've taken from this is the, the, all the social media techniques, they're there to help us do that. And that's what we need to be focusing on. It's how to have uh, great conversations to, to, to build those relationships. To, was it close the, close the triangle? Is that right? Closing triangles is important. The other thing is, to, is really is to understand the media. Uh, each medium is different. And each medium has its dark sides, right? So, I mean, we're seeing the alt-right, you know, using uh, some, some of these things. We're seeing racists. We're seeing um, um, uh, propagandists and everything using those the same technologies that we're using to, to do good stuff, hopefully, right? And so it's, I think it's really important to understand, you know, what each medium does in the way it changes our conversations, such as like um, with re re remote work or what I call distributed work. One of the things that it resurfaces is asynchronous communication, is that you can't spend all day on Zoom, right? It's just, it's, it, it, it'll destroy your brain. Um, uh, but that means that people have to get better at asynchronous communication. And a lot of business leaders are not really good at that because they're, they, they can convene a meeting, everybody shows up, and now they're going to tell you what's going on. It's much harder to write a one pager on what I want to do. Plus, that one pager now holds you accountable for what you wrote on it, right? So, so, so that's the other thing I think for internal communications is that how can we enable better asynchronous communications? Howard, thank you very much indeed. Yes, thank you so much, Howard. I, uh, honestly, the uh, the notes, I think, Dom, you've explained some points there. I think I'm just, I've got a, a notepad full of words with words from uh, control to curiosity equals empathy, from value network analysis to um, we are all contributors to, to knowledge, to, to many, many things that I'm going to go away and re-listen to this when we publish to to reflect on. But thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and, and helping us to, to spark that thinking. It's been a yeah, truly well, wonderful experience. If I can just make one other comment is the mm. reason I was able to talk about this is because I've been writing about it for 18 years, right? Is that that has sharpened my cognitive pro processes. So if you don't put it out there and, you know, the same idea you know, 50 times finally refined 
to to be able to synthesize that is that it's a um, it's a practice, it's a, and you and you only get get better by practicing. Wow! If that's not food for thought, I don't know what is really. Thank you so so much for coming and joining us today. I feel like I'm going to be listening to the playback several times over to pick up new snippets and and insights. Brilliant. So, yes, we'll, should we, we'll close it there. And thank you all. And uh, we'll hopefully uh, we'll see you and those listening on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening today. This episode has been brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and was hosted by myself, Jen Sproul, Kat Barnard and Dominic Walters. And we've been discussing the impact of digital communication on relationship, community and collective problem solving. This episode was produced by Jessica Williams and Shabi Tulu-Ogonpalu. And if you've enjoyed this episode today, we'd be enormously grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on the channel you choose to tune in. It really helps others to know that we're here. We'll tune in and hopefully see you next time.